The first one that Paul has been making so clear is this idea of original sin, the lostness of humanity. And chapter 1, chapter 2, and most of chapter 3, and then he hits it again in chapter 5, is this idea that for everyone, everyone is sin, everyone because of that has, is going to die or encounters death of all kinds, physical and spiritual. Number two, man is inherently corrupt at conception. All people And number three is that all are subject to the consequences of Adam's sin. And that's what Paul has been teaching. And he says, therefore, you know, we're under God's judgment. That's a major theme. The other major theme or movement in Romans is what Paul introduces in Romans chapter 3, verse 21, and starts to explain. And it's about Jesus and what he's done for us. And it's this big word called justification, that Jesus, through his death on the cross, his blood dying for us, paying the penalty for our sin, offers us a chance to be justified, to to get right with God, so that he would look at us and say, no, I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to condemn you to a life away from me. You can come and be with me. That, That whole thing is justification. And Paul says, it's by faith. It's through God's grace, and it's just, the only way we get it is by faith. We believe in him. He says, to receive him as your Lord, your Savior. Those are the two main movements. Chapter 6, Paul starts to talk about, so what do we do with that? What then is the next step? If we, if we believe this, what's next? And Paul starts Romans 6 with this phrase, what shall we say then? Having understood all of this, what shall we say then? Shall we continue to sin that grace might increase? May it never be. Or, may it never be. Or, what are you, nuts? That's what Paul's saying here. So he goes right into application, and he starts to say, what should we do in light of this? Let's pray. God, over these next few moments, um, I am so aware of it this morning, and, and it comes and goes over the years, but... Uh, Lord, we need to hear from you. You say your word is alive and active and able to go right into the very the heart of who we are. And, and I pray, Lord, that you would just, your word would come and it would just, uh, you would speak to us and you would speak to the deepest part of us and, and the things that are true, you would just make them alive and active. We'd be able to just see it, God, and understand it. Amen. Paul introduces this idea. People conclude, okay, I have grace. What should I do with it? And it's interesting. What Paul does immediately is what people do is they'll run with it, right? They'll, they'll run with it a certain direction. And so what people start to do immediately is run the wrong direction. And, and think of it like this. Paul's laying out tracks, and, or we're in a plane, and if you set a destination point that's 3,000 miles away and you're off by one degree, what happens by the time you get to that destination point or where you should be, you're, you're off by a lot, right? So how we live out of this has drastic implications, So, for instance, some Christians concluding after Paul said these things and have taught these things, well, let's just go sin. 
and let God's grace increase. Give him more glory. He references back in chapter 3 when he says, you know, let's go do evil that good may result. And people were believing this and pushing this. And and it's obvious here. You go, oh, why do people do that? That's just so dumb. It still happens today. We just don't talk about it like that. When I was in seminary, there was, uh, there was a group of people, and I remember the conversation. I hung out with them. They were great people. But there was always this push to see how far they could go under God's grace towards sin, towards, oh, I'm free. Look what all I can do because God has given me so much grace. And, and the pursuit was never towards righteousness. It was all towards how much of the world can I, can I have while I follow Christ. It always just struck me. Why are, why are you going all this direction? Because invariably it leads you, to, one, to go over that line. Or you're dating high school junior high high school college maybe into your 20s out of college how far can I go physically with someone what's the point that's wrong when when do you cross that line and it's it's the wrong question it's where's Christ how do I move closer to Christ what would honor Christ the most how can I live in such a way that it brings him more honor, rather than how far can I get to the line? And Paul says to that line of thinking, may it never be. What are you thinking? That's crazy. Why would you ever think this way? And he goes on to say then this, how shall we who died to sin still live in it? There's a gap in their understanding, right? He's thinking, why would you ever ask that question? If you're thinking this way and you're going towards that, that old life, we got a problem here because you don't understand something. You, you clearly don't know something about what has just been written, what I've just said in chapter 1 through 5. And so what he starts to do, if you'll notice, three different times in the next seven verses, he says this word, no. Do you know or do you not know? It's really in the, in the like... Don't you know this? Three different times. In fact, it stands out. Paul does say, hey, know this. He says it several times throughout the book of Romans, but he doesn't say it like he says it in Romans 6. Three different times he says, don't you know this? Don't you know this? Don't you know this? And Paul's wanting them to understand, look, you have to understand these things. You need to know these things about the impact of of what it means to have faith in Jesus by his grace. And so the first thing that he says is this. Don't you know that all of us, right, or all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death in order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. So that's the first thing. He says, do you know this? You got to know this, which is this idea of how powerful our identification with Christ is when we have faith. When we have faith, 
in Christ, I think a lot of us think, okay, faith in Christ, let's start with salvation. Yes, he needs to save me. And Paul's saying, well, yes, he does. But do you realize this identification, this faith in identifying with Christ carries on through life? It's, it's through your whole life. And he uses this metaphor of baptism and death. And, and, and it's hard because this is an abstract thought, right? I mean, try to get your brain around how is it that I've died with Christ. That's an abstract thought. How do you make that concrete? I mean, we have, uh, I got a little Lego guy, and, and I'm trying to just make this look like, I'm not trying, just give me some grace on this, okay? I'm trying to make something abstract concrete. So the glass here, my phone, is, uh, is, the, is the water, right? So Lego guy, water. You, me, Lego dude, water, baptism, okay? Paul says, you and I, when we became Christians, we're over here walking along. Oh, we need Jesus, faith, justification. And he says, what happens is this isn't just a salvation thing. This is the rest of your life thing. You and I, we, were, we said, oh, he died for me. He died for you. He, he was buried, so we were buried with him. He didn't just do this for us. We're with him, right? And then he is raised to life, but it wasn't just for us. It was with us, like we were raised with him. Died, buried, raised with him. And he says, you understand this and you know this. You will know what it's like to now walk since you've been justified. Paul goes on to say these phrases. And it's so, in, it's, it's, it's identification, but he says this, walk with Christ, into Christ, walk in, united with him, in the likeness of his death, in the likeness of his resurrection, crucified with him, died with Christ, lived with him. I mean, over and over in these next seven verses, it's all you and me connected with Christ in a profound way. And the more we understand that connection you and me dying with Christ, buried with Christ, risen with Christ, the more we will understand how to live the Christian life. So he says this, do you not know that you have been buried with Christ? You were baptized and buried with him. And he starts to use this, what does he say, was buried with him? He says this old flesh, right, or this old man. Don't you know that we were baptized in Christ Jesus, we were baptized in his death, therefore we were buried with him. In order that Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we may have a new life. For if we be united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. For we know this, that our old self was crucified with him. Here we go. That our body of sin, now we got another phrase, might be done away with, that we shall no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. So he starts to identify, you know, this is us before Christ, body of sin, slaves to sin, sin, Right? All these, the old man, or you could say the, the old woman, but his reference to Adam. All in us, 
were identified with Adam, and then we all of a sudden identify with Christ. And all of that dies. The old man, the old flesh, the sinful nature died in the grave. And then it's a new life raised with Christ. What's interesting as you go through this is that Paul does not spend time like he's in a classroom defining all these phrases. He doesn't. He just uses them all at once and uses them all to reference what he's described about Adam. So there's no specific, okay, now this is what I mean by body of sin. This is what I mean by, you know, sinful man or flesh or old man. It's just all assumed we'd all understand he's talking about Adam. And it's important to know that, that Paul's not trying to get specific and parse this thing out and divide it up. It's just all referenced to who we are prior to Christ. It's important to know that because you can go in here and start to cherry-pick different phrases and build some kind of an understanding or theology that gets way off course. For instance, when it says body of sin, this is a famous passage. You ever heard of the, the ascetics, right, the, the movement in church history? It's the people, it's like the monks and the nuns who are out in the middle of like, I don't know, five degrees up on a 40-foot pole trying to like, you know, get closer to Jesus by what? Denying their body, killing the body, right? Because the body's bad. So you're literally, they would go, your physical body is bad, it's evil. So any desires you have from your body are evil. You need to like learn to die to that and just get to the spiritual state where you don't feel anything and, right? You ever heard of that? Yeah, kind of? Okay. Well, here's a crazy story. So this is where it goes, right? Uh, I was reading this book, Luther. Uh, I've been reading it, Eric Metaxas, and he has this story. It's a true story about this gal named Anna Laminate. And Anna apparently had become a Christian and achieved such a spiritual state and a walk with Jesus that she hadn't eaten in 14 years nor gone to the bathroom. And uh, so famous in Germany that even the emperor came to visit her. Martin Luther, on his journey back from pilgrimage to Rome, but coming back to Rome, actually visited her as well. This is a, this is a real gal. And he met with her and talked with her. He left going, eh, something's hinky, something's off. But he just went on, didn't spend much time with her. But the emperor would come to see her. Other politicians, all, I mean, everybody would come to Anna because she was some sage who never ate food and achieved this spiritual state of maturity where Jesus just fed her and she survived. The emperor's sister was having none of it. It was like, whatever. That's a lie. So she invites Anna over to her place, castle, whatever she has, and, and there's a guest room there, and one of the guest room actually has a peephole in it. And so Anna spends the night at, at this sister of the emperor's house, and when she gets into her room, the sister's looking through the peephole, and sure enough, when Anna gets in there and all locked and nobody's around, she opens up her suitcase and pulls out food, little pastries, little pear, little pepper cakes, totally just wolfs this food down. And the sister's like, uh-huh, but she's not done. Because half of it was she doesn't eat, and the other half is, well, you got to see. So she waits around, and sure enough, this gal goes to the bathroom, and she watches as she throws it out the window. 
And uh, so then she catches her, and they make Anna come and eat in front of the entire village and kick her out of the town and call it, try to destroy respiration. Anna goes on to try to do this again in several other towns. They finally catch her because she's swindling money. She's lying to people, and that's how she's making a living. So they end up killing her by drowning, and it's a really tragic story. So. <laughs> I just love that story, right? Like, that's just, you can't make this stuff up. But that's, that's what happens when you look at this and go, oh, it's just the body. No, no, you have to understand Paul's talking about us under Adam in its entirety. As he's saying, when we died to sin, this body is sin, the old man. He's referencing everything that came from Adam that we talked about at the beginning of the service. So what Paul says is, first, do you know, one, that you are identified with Christ? Are, are you in with that? Do you understand that? That when you were baptized into Christ Jesus, you were baptized into his death and his resurrection. Your identity is that, that tight, that real, that, um, I don't even know how to say it. It's just the truth. It's just what is. He goes on to say, do you also know this? In verse, in verse 6 through 8, do you know that our old self was crucified with him? Our body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. And if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Do you understand that sin is powerless over you, and death is now powerless over you? As a result of that identification, do you understand that? The old self, the old man. Charles Wendell says this, said it the best. He said, we died with Christ. Dead bodies don't respond to sin. Dead bodies don't respond to temptation. Dead bodies don't choose to do wrong. Temptation, sin don't affect us when we're dead. Can you imagine that, that day when, when you're dead and you, you have all the temptations that you've had? Think of those. Every temptation that you struggle with, the ones that really get you, right? The ones that always snag you through your life. And, and you're dead there and those temptations just come prancing by. Is your dead body going to do anything? No. Even the ones that are so hard for you to refuse, they just come by, your dead body's not even moving. Not even paying attention. Nothing. Not even a heartbeat. And the temptation's like, oh, come on, come alive. You know, I'm right here. Come and get me. You want to. But you're dead. In Christ, you're dead. Right? I mean, imagine that. Like, physically... I mean, you can't hear any voices when you're dead, right? Nobody's, everybody's like looking at you, but you're dead. Nothing affects you. Temptation, that's, that's what Paul's saying is there, when we're dead in Christ, the stuff has no power. And when we're dead, death doesn't even have power in Christ. What's death going to do to us? We're in Christ. Think about that. We can live in such a way that it's not only that temptation has no power over us, death has no power over us. What's going to happen if we die? Well, we're just with Christ, right? 
Do you know this? Do you live like this? As we think these things and move through these things, Paul says, I want you to know your identity in Christ. I want you to know that sin is powerless over you. Death is powerless. And I also want you to know one final thing. And he says, now, if we would die with Christ, in verse 8, we believe we also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, through the death no longer has master over him. But the death that he died, he died to sin but the life he lives, he lives to God. What he is saying is the work is finished. There's no way death is going to somehow weasel its way out and, and somehow overtake Jesus again where he's going to have to do it again. Like it's just done. It's over. There's no question. There's, there's no way that sin's going to come back over, evil's going to come back over and overpower Jesus like you see in Greek mythology or whatever. It's just done. It's finished. No doubts, no buts, no ifs. And there's such a rest in this. And, and this is the thing, folks. This isn't just for that moment or that process which led you to have faith in Jesus. This is for the rest of your life and the rest of my life. That is our life. It's finished. It's done. And so Paul moves on to two other things at, at the end of this. He says, Consider, therefore, yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Since you know these three things, consider this, that you're dead to sin, but you're alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is, I would think... This is where the abstract meets the concrete. How do you transition what you now know about Christ and identifying with him, the power over sin, the power over death, and how does that translate to your life? Tell me if this is how you've kind of lived the Christian life. By faith, I came to Jesus, but after that, I knew it was up to me to stay righteous. By faith, I came to Jesus. By grace, he's the only one that could do it, but then I knew it was up to me, that I'm the only one, that it, it, it was up to me to make sure I stayed righteous, I am righteous, and, and God's just kind of now going, okay, you go there. Let's see you do it there. And, and you're just waiting for God to come and punish you because you know you can't do it. See, when Paul says consider this, he's saying, look, Adam, that God's plan was no self-improvement plan for Adam, right? The old flesh. It's not a self-improvement plan. It's not like, oh, he got a little dusty, he fell off, let's dust off the old man, the sinful nature, we'll clean it up. No, he said, it has to die. It has to die. It's dead, right? That, that's the plan for the old flesh, the old man. The plan that Christ has is, no, when, when you're raised to life with me, it's my life in you. It's my life in you. 
And so it's not us sitting there trying to stop ourselves from sin. It's us living in the victory. Does that make sense? And, and to consider means you, you can't be busy when you consider something. You, you can't be distracted. Consider means to stop and slow down, process this. So what Jesus did for me at salvation, he wants to do for me every moment of my life. He, he wants me to show, or he wants me to know that he has power over sin. So it's not me making a vow to stop sinning. It's me saying, Jesus, I need power this morning. It, he wants me to know that he has power over death. So I don't get up in the morning afraid of death. I get up in the morning saying, Lord, fill me with the knowledge of your power of life. And it, it, it means, Lord, it's not this prayer that's, like, oh, oh, Lord, I, I'm going to help me try to do better today. It's, Lord, would you fill me with your righteousness today? I don't even have the righteousness. I need to have the righteousness to save myself. How in the world do I have righteousness now to keep on living that way? I don't. It's Christ in me, right? And so the prayer is, Lord, I'm identified with you. I died. The old, the old person died. I'm new in you. I need your life now. I need your life. I need your life. Your righteousness. Fill me with your righteousness. Because if I'm filled with your righteousness, guess what I'll do? I'll live in a righteous way. And what's hard is, is if you've come from a legalistic background, which I think a lot of us may have, churches that are just like, Legalists, you got to do, you got to perform, go, 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 and God's just right there ready to just hammer the mallet and judge you and destroy your life, and he's angry with you. This is so radically different than that. Because what, what Paul is saying is there, you can't even do it on your own. Your identity with Christ is everything. It's everything, and it's only his power, his life, that allows us to live the way he wants us to. Does that make sense? But you just can't do this going a thousand miles an hour. You have to slow down. It takes me. I have to slow down. I mean, I, I can be going and just go, Lord, I just, I know, I know what I'm doing. I don't want to make another vow. I'm not going to make another vow to be good. I want you, your life in me, to change me. Right? I want your righteousness to fill me because I can't do it. And when we consider that, and when we live in that thinking, the next verses make sense. When Paul says, therefore, don't present yourselves and the members of your body to wickedness, right? To, as instruments of, to present yourself to sin as instruments of righteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive and dead and your members, your, your body, your, all that you are to him as this instrument of righteousness. So when we come out of considering Christ and our identity with him and what he has done for us and what he says he still wants to do for us, all of a sudden that verse is so different.
it's not done out of our own strength. It's done out of our own love. And it's just done in his strength, in his power. And so it's no longer a vow, and it's no longer our strength. It's his power, and we just say, oh, Lord, here, here I am. I'm yours. I'm yours in this moment. I'm yours in, in this next moment. I, I don't know what next year is. All I know is I, I can only do now. And you will give me what I need in this moment to live in you. The old man stays dead. I'm new in you. We have some songs here. Towards the end, I invite the team to come, to come up. And I don't know what this looks like for you to spend some time just processing with Christ. And I think, I don't know whether this is a time where you just need to sit, Christ is just going to say, look, you've been so busy, and, and you're white knuckling this thing, and you're trying to just, uh, and maybe it's time for you just to consider the finished work of Christ and that it's still for you right now. And, and I think maybe some of you come out of that performance background. Your view of God, the Father, is one of a tyrant who's just ready to punish you. And what Christ would, would have you see is no. He's, he's willing and ready and he wants to give you grace in this moment and show you that you don't have to do this anymore on your own. Let me do it in my power. And, and we'll just trust that God will speak to you in these few moments and as we just sing these songs and worship him.